Today, we're continuing on Christian maturity. I think you guys have the impression at this point, as I do, that this is a very difficult thing to define. Christian maturity, what is that? Maturity is hard to define all by itself. It's kind of diffuse. Some people would say it's a continuum. You know, either this mature or you're this mature. But we have trouble defining that too, don't we? It seems to go up and down. I know in myself, sometimes I feel more or less mature. And my wife reminds me about that too. You know, you're not being very mature, right? So, but at any rate, it's a difficult thing to um, define. Uh, But what we're doing is we're trying to advance in our understanding of God, our relationship with him. And that is maturity. It's coming to know him better and to live in Christ as well. Uh, We talked about immersion, that full immersion in Christ, that our mind is totally focused upon him. That's maturity, isn't it? Living in him. Um, A lot of um, assurance is a matter of maturity as well. How much are we thinking about assurance? Are we thinking about assurance too much? Is it too much about us? Are we thinking about how well assured we are? Or are we thinking about the glory of Christ? in all of his characteristics. So those are all things that go along with maturity. Hard thing to think about, hard thing to define. I don't know that it's worth spending a whole lot of time on figuring out what maturity is. Uh, We can think about it generally, but to spend your life doing your um, life's work on maturity uh, may be not so productive. We're going to talk about sin and maturity today, okay? Um, We're going to try to add to what we've been talking about so far in terms of this conversation that we have with God. You remember God speaks to us, and we speak back in various ways. He gives his word. He speaks through his creation. He speaks through sermons, other kinds of things to us. And we're supposed to talk back to him. We've talked uh, many times over the last eight weeks or so about how both parts of those, that conversation are, is important. If you're just listening or just reading and you're not talking back, you're probably not going to grow in your relationship with God. And that's one of our major premises here. So how does that relate to sin? We're, gonna, we're going to um, uh, try to explore that today. Um, so what is, when we talk about sin just in general right now, uh, we tend, I think, maybe more as Reformed and Presbyterian people to think a lot about sin. And we talk about, you know, tulip, total depravity, first thing up, right? Talk about our own sin. Are we thinking about that first? Or are we thinking about the glory of God first? What was God's first revelation to us as fallen people? Was it, you've sinned? Did he swat you down? Did he convict you in some way or other of your sin? Or what was that first thing that God did? Did he reveal his glory to you? We need to ask that question because we, again, especially in reform circles, tend to think an awful lot about sin. And of course, thinking a lot about sin is what? It's thinking about ourselves, isn't it? We're concentrated on ourselves. We're not really concentrated on the glory of God. But we also think about these sequences. We're convicted of sin, and therefore we believe. A lot of people would say that that's the nature of the gospel. But really, if we look through our Bible, 
the first thing that God does with us is he reveals himself to us. He shows his holiness, his glory, his perfection. He's shown us what he has done. And it's as a result of being exposed to that holiness that then we get a sense of our own sin. If in contrast, if, if by any other way, in contrast, if by no other way. So sin is not supposed to be the first thing on your mind as a Christian. The glory of God is. That may affect a lot of things in your life, how you wake up in the morning, how you approach your day, your work, how you approach prayer, okay? We go to prayer in distress a lot of times, don't we? I'm really messed up about this particular thing. And we go to God and uh, we start talking right away about what our problems are. Instead of going to God and saying, look, God, I see your revelation. I see the way that you revealed yourself, your holiness, your perfection to us. And that's how I come to you, knowing some of your holiness, knowing some of your perfection. Perhaps that's a mistake that we make, beginning with sin and fallenness and the troubles of the world, rather than talking about the glory of God. The glory of God, the holiness of God, is really what secondarily convicts us of sin. Um, so what then, you know, we talk about sin, we can talk about our own sin and all of our own problems, but what about original sin? You know, we've been talking about um, communication with God. God reveals himself to us, okay? That develops an interest in our brain in, a various, in various ways, and then we talk back to God, and that changes our brain as well. When we talk back to God, it changes our relationship, okay? And it also changes the way we view God. You can imagine, for example, if you're talking to somebody else, okay? Usually if you're talking to me, this is the way it goes. I do all the talking, right? So what if you're talking to somebody and the other guy's doing all the talking? God's doing all the talking, okay? And that's good. We get his revelation. We learn about him. But what if you're not talking back? That's not much of a conversation, isn't it? And remember, we said talking back has to do with prayer, but also singing hymns, praise, listening to the word, availing yourselves of the means of grace is all, of our, all part of our talking back to God, even repeating to God what he has said to us. It's a two, two-way conversation. So we've been steeped in this conversation for quite a long time now. What about original sin? How does original sin relate to that? Can you guys see that relationship? Adam and Eve created. Adam created Eve from Adam. But what was the first thing that God did with them? He spoke to them, didn't he? He gave revelation. He gave a rule to them, didn't he? He gave some law to them. He also gave them a mandate, you know, to subdue the earth to have dominion, okay, and to populate the earth as well. God said a lot of things to Adam and Eve to start with. He started the conversation, okay? And Adam and Eve um, spoke back. They had a conversation with God. We'll, we'll get an example of that in just a few minutes. But then what happened after that? Adam and Eve broke off their communication with God, didn't they? They said, uh-uh, we're not doing that anymore. Um, and basically what they were saying in violating the law which had, was, that God had given them was, 
we're messing up this conversation. Okay, we're stopping this conversation. Not only are we going to stop our conversation with you, but we're going to talk to somebody else. We're going to talk to that person that's antithetical to you. Okay, so this conversation that we've talked about, let's review that again. One person talks to another, the other person becomes interested, talks back, and that conversation goes back and forth, and that relationship builds and builds and builds and builds. That's the nature of relationships among people, too. A lot of, the, a lot of us have had that kind of relationship, that kind of conversation that finally builds into love. Okay, But Adam and Eve broke off that conversation. They were unfaithful, not only in not obeying the law, but they were unfaithful in talking to something that was opposite of God, weren't they? They took up a conversation with somebody else. So we asked the question even of ourselves, what, uh, to whom are we speaking? With whom are we speaking? What, with whom do we want to uh, develop our relationships? So as a result, bring up another principle we've talked about, and that is the two types of um, uh, types of learning that Augustine gave us. You remember, I brought the globes before. There's one translucent, there's one clear. And what happens when we're in that sort of more dense globe is we're isolated within ourselves. The light has trouble getting in, and we aren't putting much light out either in that dark globe. In the clear globe, light comes in easily, and what happens? Light goes through that globe and goes out to other places, other people. So what happens when we break off this relationship with God, and we'll illustrate this with Scripture later on, is that we end up going from this clear mode where everything that God comes from God gets into us and we internalize it, we develop a relationship with him, going back to that kind of darker mode where not much from God comes in and not much from God goes out either. Remember, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to be giving this to other people. So Adam and Eve went from that clear mode, okay, completely open to God, to now being closed, okay, closed to a lot of what God is giving. And that's one of the values of Augustine's construct that way. It shows us a lot about how we really function. So we become isolated. Adam and Eve became more isolated. Uh, communication became difficult. And they were not only not communicating well with God, but uh, among themselves as well. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 16b and 17. For it is written, the two will become flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This whole chapter actually is about sexual indiscretion, okay? It's about how two people that commune with each other, okay, become part of one another. For it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's what this conversation, I think you recognize that, as we have that conversation with God, we become more united with him and develop that love relationship. This is a description of intimacy, okay? The Holy Spirit, of course, mediates this. How does this get applied? Word of God comes to you. Um, the Holy Spirit mediates that in your mind and in your heart, and you grow in your relationship with God. 
What are we doing again? I want to remind you about this. God gives us this self-disclosure. He tells about himself. A lot of things that we didn't know before, they're kind of secrets, okay? We call them secrets. It's called self-disclosure. God reveals secrets to us. He reveals secrets to us. You remember that a lot of people who are not Christians don't get, okay? That's why we can call it a secret. Uh, He reveals it to us, but others may not understand it. And we do the same thing when we pray or we worship him. We're giving back to God things that are really dear to our hearts that nobody else knows. I can tell you all what my problems are, but it's a different thing when I'm talking to God about it. It's a revelation. It's a self-disclosure of secrets that are within me. Um, The whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 6 is about uh, sexual immorality. It's about what happens when we uh, bind ourselves, either physically or in conversation with the wrong people. What happens? We can be, become bound to the wrong kind of person, just like Adam and Eve. They talked to Satan, right? It wasn't all physical. It wasn't all law. They talked with Satan, and that conversation built man's relationship with Satan. So he changed. They changed the, the way they regarded God Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 was referencing, that intimate relationship that we develop with God or with other people as well, sometimes with the wrong people. So very often when we read the story of Adam and Eve, um, and we read this verse, we think about the relationship Uh, between Adam and Eve, right? They shall become one flesh. But that's really representative of what happens with us when we develop our relationship with God. We become united with him. And of course, that is our goal. We talked about, um, again, the curious and the studious. The curious are those in the dark globe. The studious are those in that clear globe. Light gets in, light goes out. First uh, Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that the same image, the very end of that? Called you out of darkness. He called you out of that dark globe, okay, into his light, into that light globe that light comes into who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For what purpose? That we might proclaim his excellencies. Once again, when we're in that clearer globe mode, God's word comes in, but it also goes out. We proclaim his excellencies. We love the Lord our God. We love the neighbor as ourself. It's part of the same thing. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are some of the secrets that we know that God told us, right? This is part of, this is part of God's uh, self-disclosure. He's telling you about himself and what he's going to do. Chosen race, okay? He's chosen a race. Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own um, possession. When this conversation starts, the other thing you need to know is that this relationship is inevitable. It keeps going as you're exchanging Uh, secrets or self-disclosures between yourselves and another, that relationship grows. So intimacy, 
in this way is inevitable with Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus starts that revelation. We respond. The Holy Spirit puts us in a frame that we respond. Remember, God is sovereign over all of this. And our purpose is for what? One of the things that we do when we pray to God, when we are involved in worship, one of those self-disclosures, one of those little secrets, okay, is that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Think about that. This is from the verse that we're studying right now. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Again, it's an example of this conversation that we're talking about. God reveals things to us. We talk back. We talk to others about it. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. We proclaim the excellencies. How do we do that? Because God revealed himself to us, and we proclaim his excellencies. Part of proclaiming his excellencies, not just to other people, but talking back to God, okay? In a way, we're saying, yeah, we get it. I understand, God. It's in my heart, and I'm talking back to you to show you how it is in my heart. That's a secret thing. I don't know, each one of you, what's in your heart regarding God, okay? Can't. I can't know that. But when you speak back to God in your prayer, you're actually telling him a kind of a secret of how you understand things. It's an intimate conversation, and you're telling him how you understand things. And again, I think that you can, under, you can see how that kind of a conversation um, breeds intimacy. We get closer to one another, and finally we develop a love. Uh, Hebrews thirteen fifteen through 16, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So through him, okay, through him, through Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. This is our talking back to God. Sometimes when we're in church, we think we're issuing praise, you know, we're with our group here, we're with our fellow Christians, and we're sharing this time of worship. But do we realize that we're actually talking back to God, that each one of us individually has an individual uh, intimate relationship with God and that that's what's going on, that that's the sacrifice of praise. It's what we offer back to him. The fruit of the lips, again, it's conversation, it's talking. We need to see it this way. This is the way God tells us that it, that it is. It's a conversation. So it goes on, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to him. Again, the light comes in the light goes out, goes back to God, and goes to other people as well. This is all good. It's fruit. It's the fruit of our relationship with God. Um, just wanted to add Second uh, John 6. I don't know if that's on your handout or not, but it says Second John 6 uh, says, this is verse um, 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. We've been talking about sin. We've been talking now about commandments. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Uh, remember, we talked about this conversation as the development of love. The commandments that God gives us 
the Bible, we're talking about the Ten Commandments or any other place that God gives us rules of life, okay, uh, or his personal revelation to us, and that conversation again around the commandments yields love. As we hear, you want to take the Ten Commandments, you hear the Ten Commandments, we speak them back, we do that once a month here, don't we? We read the Ten Commandments. We speak them back to God. That's this conversation that develops in love. So the commandments are not always just a heavy weight that's upon you. It's part of your conversation um, with God. Um, And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. We're supposed to share what God has given us. Uh, These sacrifices are pleasing to God. I wanted to read Matthew 25, 35 to 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see, when would we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you? See you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So again, these things, the commandments, we look at as works sometimes, don't we? Things that we should do. Um, Jesus lists a whole lot of things here that are done and that we should do. And what he's saying to, to, to us here is those things that we do for others, okay, are part of our conversation with Jesus Christ. Isn't that what he's saying here? Uh, These things that you did for others actually reflected back to me. That was part of your conversation with God. It was part of your building up of relationship with Jesus Christ. Seems like a paradox to start with, doesn't it? All these things that you've done, and Jesus says that that Um, reflects back to him directly. So these things that we do in our lives, these ethical things, these moral things, these uh, kindnesses that we do, we're actually, that's part of our conversation with God. It's part of this talking back and forth. It's part of the building up of our love for Christ when we do these things. We could say that we're expressing our love for other people doing these things. Get that, that's pretty easy. But what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 25 is that that actually speaks directly to him. It speaks to Jesus Christ when you do these things as well. And it builds your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that um, question 14, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So when we don't do the law of God, that's sin, Okay. Uh, we've been talking about sin as a conversation, though, here too. Uh, we're talking about how God speaks to us and we speak back by doing things. We're speaking back to him, to God, by doing these things. Leviticus 5.17, if anyone sins doing any of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, uh, he shall bear his iniquity. Is that strange? It's always been strange to me. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, okay, sounds like you sinned by mistake, all right, 
We do that. We make mistakes. We sin against other people by mistake. He shall bear his iniquity. And why is that? When we're not doing things according to the law of God, according to the holiness of God, that conversation is compromised, okay? And that iniquity that we bear as a result of doing that sin, whether we intended it or not, that iniquity is our separation from God. So sin, even when it's not intended, even when we do that by mistake, because it violates the holiness of God, interrupts your conversation. Not totally, but it does interfere with your conversation with God. And if nothing else, it doesn't keep building up your relationship with God. Any sin, okay, any want and conformity to the law of God separates us from God. It interrupts that conversation. Uh, It keeps us from uh, growing in our love for God to some extent. We violated God's holiness. It's iniquitous because it separates us from God to an extent. Not totally, but to some extent. James 4.17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Again, in the context of God who is holy, it's a sin to not do the right thing. James 1.15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, That's an intentional sin more, isn't it? And what does it bring? What is death? Death is separation from God. So when we're not obedient to the law, when we're not doing what God has revealed to us, we become separated from him. Well, 1 John 3, 4, uh, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. We've talked about that. 1 John 5, 17, all, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Not all sin is totally condemning for us. We know that. We know that our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, but still, we're pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, aren't we? We want to grow in our love for him and our relationship with him as well. Uh, Question 15 from the Shorter Catechism. What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the state wherein they were created? The answer, the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating of the forbidden fruit. That was a law, a little bit of law, wasn't it? God says, you you shall not eat the fruit from that tree. And they did. And what happened there? One of the things that happened is that um, it violated God's sovereignty. Okay, we need to see that. It violated God's sovereignty. Uh, It violated God's holiness. It violated God's love, right? God created in love. He made Adam and Eve, he made creation, he made all this beautiful stuff, and um, by not um, obeying that, by not um, doing what God said in that little bit of law, by, not, by, by interrupting this conversation with God, remember God gave law, and we're supposed to respond how? We're supposed to respond by doing it, maybe by repeating it back to him, but remember we said in the verses that we just considered about these things that were done for people in trials, and uh, Jesus accredited that to being done for himself. The things that we do in love for others and in, and in uh, obeying the commandments is our conversation with God. We need to see that. Sometimes we grind away at rules that we need to follow. You know, just another thing to do. Do I have to stop for the red light? Can I do a 
uh, what do they call it, a, a rolling turn through a, uh, a stop sign or a rolling stop. We grind away at that, but do we realize that when we know what God has revealed to us about his law and we don't do it, that we're interrupting our conversation with him? So these are our norms of behavior. This has the same to do with our relationships that we have with each other. We violate some things that we have shared together. We violate a relationship. Uh, Shorter Catechism, question three, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and God and what duty God requires of man. The conversation again, right? Here it is in the Shorter Catechism. What man, is, what man is to believe concerning God? God, in his scriptures, teaches us about himself. It's a, it's a self-revelation. It's, um, it tells us about himself. It's intimate conversation. And what duty God requires of man, again, that's part of our talking back to God. What we do in obedience to him is part of this conversation. Um, scriptures reveal and establish God's law. Remember that God is speaking to us. So Adam and Eve stepped away from that relationship with God, didn't they? They kind of stopped the conversation, or at least greatly muted it. The conversation went on, but there was judgment after that as well, and there was a revelation of Jesus Christ coming after that as well. The conversation continued. It was intimate. There was self-disclosure. Remember Genesis 3.15 is the first... um, revelation about the coming of Jesus Christ for our sins. So this intimate conversation continues. Uh, It is intimate. It is secretive. Uh, It gives us more requirements for our behavior. Um, And again, this is one of the ways that God induces us to have this relationship with him. Um, I wanted to use now, and this is in your handout, a portion of Paradise Lost. You can thank Kurt for this because he just told me he's been listening to this. So all complaints go to Kurt. So, But Paradise Lost, this particular section is an illustration. It's Milton's construct of what it was like for Adam and Eve to be in conversation with God. And it's very much like we are today. But I wanted to illustrate this conversation that is, you know, presumed, and I think we can see in Genesis that that's what was going on. Uh, Paradise Lost, this is book four, um, lines 720 to 735. It says, and I'll I'll read it for you because it's in Old English language here. It says, thus at their shady lodge arrived, okay, at the place where they stayed, okay, thus at their shady lodge, this is a shelter that they had, thus at their shady lodge arrived, Both stood, Adam and Eve stood, both turned, and under open sky adored the God that made both sky, air, earth, and heaven. Okay? They see the creation, they know the creation, and their converse back to God is to turn back to him, okay, and adore him, okay? Adored the God that made both sky, air, earth, and heaven, which they beheld, the moon's resplendent globe and starry pole, Thou hadst made, then they, they say then, thou also madest the night, maker omnipotent, that's God, maker omnipotent, and thou the day, which we in our appointed work employed, 
have finished. They've finished the day, okay? They've worked, and they are now finishing the day. Have finished the day, happy in our mutual help, the help between the two of them and with God, and mutual love. Again, love between Adam and Eve and love of God. The crown of our bliss ordained by thee, and this delicious place for us too large, where thy abundant, where thy abundant wants partakers. So let's go back here a little bit. Um, which in our appointed work employed have finished, they finished the day, happy in our mutual help, I think you understand that, and our mutual love, okay? Again, what we do in the context of God is an expression of our love for him. What we do is an expression toward God, okay? Happy in our mutual help and mutual love, the crown of all our bliss ordained by thee, okay? You've created, we work in the context of God, the crown of our bliss, our work, our loving God, our obeying his commandments is the crown of our bliss. We'll read some uh, scripture in that regard here shortly. The crown of our bliss. What we do in obedience to God is the crown of our bliss. And that was ordained by God. God made it that way. It's his law. And this delicious place for us too large. What God has created is too large Adam and Eve, just two people. Even the Garden of Eden, too large is what they're saying, is what Milton is saying about them. Uh, this delicious place for us, too large, where thy abundance wants partakers, and uncropped falls to the ground. It means there's only two of them, but God has made this creation just too big for you and I to consider, certainly too big for Adam and Eve to consider. And uh, what does that mean? There's an infinite God, but there's not enough worshipers, okay? It's saying here that, uh, that um, um, Adam and Eve were put into a, a created world which is very large, and it needs more and more and more people to come and partake of that creation and to worship God. Thy abundance wants partakers, and uncrop that things that are not taken from the trees are falling to the ground. There's so much that it can't even be harvested but thou hast promised from us too, from us too, Adam and Eve, a race to fill the earth, who shall with us extol thy goodness infinite. Okay? Both when we wake and when we seek, as now thy gift of sleep. To fill the earth, who shall with us extol thy goodness infinite. Have offspring, for what purpose? To worship God. To fill the earth with people who shall with us extol thy goodness infinite, the infinite goodness of God. There can never be enough creatures to worship God sufficiently, is what it's saying, okay? There can never be enough creatures to worship God sufficiently, uh, both when we wake and when we seek, as now, by gift of sleep. Our whole lives are bound up in the worship of God in that conversation. They're speaking back to God. They're worshiping God before they go to sleep at night. And this worship is a conversation. It's not just a prayer of you in isolation. You're talking to God. You're saying intimate things to him. So James one twelve, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The phrase... It's an image that Milton used. Um, steadfast under trial, steadfast to God's law, steadfast to what he has 
reveal to us. For when you have been steadfast in the law, you've been steadfast in what God has revealed, he will receive the crown of life. You'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Again, we're developing a love relationship. God promises the crown of life to those who love him. Psalm 103.4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Same uh, idea. Philippians 4.1, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, this is um, Paul speaking, my love and long for, he longs for them. Remember, love is a kind of craving, right? Paul craves for the Philippians. Uh, They are his joy and his crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As a fellow Christian, they are crowned with um, the love of God that they have. 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, okay? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So the crown of righteousness, a result of love from God, also is involved in love to God, too. That relationship is two ways, okay? Uh, God's love for us is paramount, is most important, but it also builds us love for him. So the abundance of God, the infinity of God, um, wants partakers. There's not enough people, there's not enough creatures, heaven or earth, to worship God sufficiently, okay? Um, That was expressed, I think you might remember from last time, in Wordsworth's poem, A Complaint. Um, Again, we're looking at this as if uh, God is speaking here. There is a change, says God, and I am poor, okay? I'm missing some of the love and worship which you uh, used to give to me, is what he's saying in this poem, okay? It doesn't mean that God in and himself is poor. It means that we are not worshiping sufficiently. Your love hath been not long ago a fountain at my fond heart's door. Your love had been a fountain whose only business was to flow, and flow it did, not taking heed of its own bounty or my need. Not even thinking about God's infinity. God doesn't need your love, okay? Uh, And when we love him truly, we're not thinking about all that we're doing for God. That's what Wordsworth is saying here. What happy moments did I count before when you were faithful, blessed was I than all bliss above God in heaven, but God was blessed by the worship that we give him. Now for that consecrated font of murmuring, sparkling, living love, what have I? Adam and Eve have fallen, no longer in conversation, no longer worshiping, okay? And God is saying that um, he, uh, this infinite person, is now short of that love that they used to give. What have I, shall I dare to tell, a comfortless and hidden well? God is infinite. The hidden well to receive the praises and love of his people. A well of love, it may be deep, I trust it is, and never dry. What matter if the waters sleep in silence and obscurity? Such change, and at the very poor of my fond heart, hath made me poor. When we don't worship God, okay, it doesn't mean God is less, okay, because we don't worship him, but he is devoid of the worship that we should have given him. And that's a reasonable way to say it. 
Milton said that God's, God wants partakers, meaning that he is infinite, okay? And um, that um, he uh, not only deserves, but the infinity of his being except every bit of love that we can give to him. Um, we, in our own sinfulness and depravity, we also deprive ourselves of the amount of love that we can have and share with God. Jer- I wanted to go a little bit more over Jeremiah 44. We started this last time. Um, and we'll see how much of this we can get through. We're getting towards the end here again. Um, We're starting with verse 7. And now thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? Talking about sin. See that phrase, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? You're hurting yourselves, okay? You're not hurting God, you're hurting yourselves. To cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant. Judah is what? That's the place of uh, faithfulness of God. People of Judah were the ones who were most faithful with God. And so the people themselves have um, cut themselves off from God. And we used advice to a prophet by Richard Wilbur. Um, It's on your handout again. It says, when you come, he's talking to the prophet now. I think it's an interesting picture of a prophet. When you come, as you soon must, to the streets of our city, our city needs a prophet, is what he's saying. We know this about uh, Jeremiah and uh, Israel at the time. When you come, as you soon must, to the streets of our city, mad-eyed from stating the obvious, not proclaiming our fall, but begging us in God's name to have self-pity. Okay, this is Jeremiah speaking. And yes, he spoke a little bit about the fall, but mostly he's talking about their sin at that time. Uh, begging us in God's name to have self-pity, very similar to Jeremiah 44, 7. Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? Why do you separate yourself from God in this way? So going on with the poem, Spare us all word of weapons. He's talking to the prophet again. He says to the prophet, Spare us all word of weapons, their force and range, the long numbers that rocket the mind, our slow, unreckoning hearts will be left behind, unable to fear what is too strange. Okay? Do we really understand judgment of God in this way? Destruction of societies, final destruction of the world. Do we understand that? Can we get that? And uh, Wilbur is questioning whether we can really understand it or not. We probably can't. And he goes on, Nor shall you scare us with talk of the death of the race. Shall the prophet scare us with the talk of the death of the race? How should we dream of this place without us? The way we are, isn't it? Okay. Pretty egotistic, isn't it? How can we dream of the world without us here? Okay. That's the way we think about it. And we can't. We don't really have an idea about that. The sun mere fire, the leaves untroubled about us, a stone look on the stone's face, with all these things normal around us, how can we possibly imagine the destruction that will happen? Speak of the world's own change, though we cannot conceive of an undreamt thing, okay? We know, we know to our cost how the dreamt cloud crumbles, the vines are blackened by frost, how the view alters, okay? Speak of the world's own change. Illustrate this with something that we can understand, is what um, uh, Wilbur says that uh, the prophet is saying. 
we can't think of things that we don't, we can't understand things that we really can't uh, relate to. Those are the undreamt things. If you told us so, it says, we could believe if you told us so that the white-tailed deer will slip into perfect shade, grown perfectly shy, the lark avoid the reaches of our eye, the jack pine lose its knuckled grip. We can understand things that we can see. God gives us his creation, and we can understand these things that are changing, things that disappear in our society, that die, things that happen. We get that. Uh, the jack pine lose its knuckled grip on the cold ledge in every torrent burn as Xanthus once. Xanthus is a river, uh, the torrent of the river that burns or that, that, that flows very, very quickly. Uh, it's gliding trout stunned in a, tw- in a twinkling by that massive flow. We can understand those things, he says. What shall we be without the dolphin's ark, the dove's return? These are things that we understand. What shall we be without those things? These things in which we have seen ourselves and spoken, ask us, prophet, how shall we call our natures forth when that live tongue is all dispelled and that glass obscured and broken? When we look for the final judgment, that day, the day, as they say, the final destruction and the um, destruction of the world, how can we really understand what happens there in our separation from God? We really can't. Because we're not really, we really haven't lived through that, is what Wilbur is saying. In which we have said the rose of our love, the rose, the, the, the very clear expression of our love, and the clean horse of our courage, we know these things about ourselves, in which beheld the singing locust of the soul unshelled, and all we mean or wish to mean. That means that our soul is, is made bare, it can be seen by everybody. Then in the last verse, he becomes intense, and he says, Ask us, ask us whether with the worldless rose our hearts shall fail us. Come demanding whether they shall be lofty or standing, or standing, um, be lofty or, or long standing when the bronze annals of the oak tree close. He says, We can understand the way things change in nature and in creation. That's what this poem is about. But, um, he's asking if we don't understand what happens in our souls when we're separated from God. That's what this last verse is about. Ask us whether with the world this rose, our hearts shall fail us. Our hearts, our love for God shall fail us. Come demanding whether they should be lofty or long-standing when the bronze annals of the oak trees close. We know our hearts. We know our relationship with God. We know our failures in that way. Uh, We can't really comprehend a lot of other things about God's judgment, but we know about the separation in relationship with him, and that's what that end of the poem is about. Um, Finally, in verse 16 of that passage, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. What Adam and Eve said, wasn't it? We're not listening to you anymore, okay? Our conversation with you is interrupted, and that was the origin of sin. It's that conversation that we've been talking about. Um, So that's a little bit on what sin is all about, okay? What a a little bit more of of maybe a mature um, idea about sin is. You know, what is sin? Is it breaking the law? Or do we know now that sin is really an interruption of our conversation with God. 
Um, do we understand that? Do we mourn the fact that our conversation with God is interrupted? And um, that's the main thing I wanted to get across to you today, that the sins that we commit are an interruption in that conversation, in that development of love with God. So why don't we close in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this day.